0: All right, welcome to Building a Fighter. Um, we're back this week. We got two guests on our show. Um, my name is Alex Friedman. I'm a strength coach in Denver, Colorado at Land Out Performance. Um, as always, I got my host, Austin Shane, here, um, sports chiropractor as well as strength coach for Warrior Sports Wellness and works with Fight Ready in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, and our two guests today are my two fellow strength coaches, my supervisors. Um, we got Augustine and Augie. Hey, hey I was going to say a little uh, confession here. I <laughs> don't know how to pronounce you last <laughs> All <time. laughs> good. All good. <laughs> and then, Eric Telly, um, you guys are general manager slash uh, strength coaches, performance coaches at Landau Performance. And I'm going to kind of let you guys do your own intro and just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you got there, um, and really anything you want to share about your background in sports performance as it pertains to um, – high-level performance with MMA or with any other sport.
1: Um, Augie, if you wanted to go first. Um, Sure, yeah. So I started coaching at LP, that was probably almost eight years ago. Um, And I was a former athlete of Lauren Lando, um, who's now with the Broncos. Um, But I had found out about Lando performance, so really Lauren, um, 10 years ago when I was getting ready for my pro day prep. um, I graduated from Colorado State University Pueblo D2 school. Um, so I did my, my pro day prep with Lauren, um, and then had my couple of tea with a couple of teams and played arena football and bounced around, but I always come back and, and train with Lauren. Um, so because of that, I was around it and I was around the philosophy and, and kind of his system for a while. I was actually, a, I was actually an economics major. Um, but shortly after I was done playing, I figured out that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so I kind of started to attach myself to Lauren's hip pocket to kind of learn more and more. Because um, I'm, a, I'm a sports junkie. I love all sorts of sports. Yeah. Um, obviously, football and track are my loves, but I, I, I can watch any sport and find something that I like like about it. So um, I started coaching at Lando Performance, I believe, in 2013. Um, and then I had uh, took over as the, the director of NFL Combine Prep after Lauren left in 2017. Um, so that's where... Um, that's like my super bowl, (laughs) um, sorry, NFL combine (laughs) prep. Um, but in the midst of it, you know, one of my good friends that I had played high school football with, um, had started fighting. Um, and that's where I kind of started to get my taste of, of working with combat athletes, um, is, uh, working with this dude named Austin Jones. And that's where I kind of started to fall in love with, with combat sports as well. Um, but other than that, I worked with, Anybody and everybody. Uh, Like I said, I'm a sports junkie, so I can find something that I like and get obsessed about, um, in any sport. So that's, what's the great about the nature of our, our job.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I love the variety too. Oh yeah.
0: As you know, we love MMA, but any and every high performance athlete is that, that environment that goes. Right. All right, Eric, how about you, man?
3: Yeah. I joined Atlanta performance, uh, a little over eleven years ago. So I was an intern of Lauren's back in the summer of twenty ten. And I was lucky enough at that time to get hired on. Um I I really blame it on luck. Um uh, just right place, right time. But I was very fortunate, even through the course of my internship, to be able to be on the floor um and help with the sessions that were ran. Uh that Lauren was running for MMA with guys like Brendan Schaub, Nate Mark Hort, Elliot Marshall. Uh, Sean Sims, uh, Shane Carwin, like just to name a few guys, and it was really cool to see because MMA was something that I was slightly interested in. I barely knew anything about it back then, and it was one of those things where I was like, it would be really cool as a performance coach at some point down the line to work with mixed martial artists. And I try to give myself a realistic time frame of, you know, probably about ten years or so before I really got into uh, dive into that community. Um, little did I know that within less than a year of starting my coaching career, I'd be working with a gentleman by the name of Alvin Robinson, who was a UFC vet, and he was coming off of some rehab, and Lauren had connected him and myself, and from Alvin, everything just caught wildfire, and I worked with um, a multitude of mixed martial artists from then, um, from multiple teams, um, guys that have been from different camps that have come in from out of town. It's just been an absolute blast. Um, Like Augie, I'm I'm a sports performance coach, so I like the challenge of working with m- a multitude of athletes because I'm so interested in human performance and athletic performance and how we as performance coaches can actually help build better athletes and build more robust athletes to their sport of choice. So I'm just a big fan of of sports in general, but combat sports right now definitely has my attention overall.
0: No, oh, and we're gonna dive deep into combat sports, so so don't worry about that, but. Before we get into that a little more, I wanted to kind of ask you guys individually because I know from my uh, standpoint, you guys are very successful, high level coaches, and uh, you guys do a phenomenal job. And I was just for either the young strength coaches listening or for you know kind of our audience, if you could pick out like one thing through your career that's been a, a consistent theme, a consistent moral that's almost gotten you uh, more opportunities or gotten you to the the place that you're at now. And um, I know it's hard to narrow down to one thing, but Um, what could you put there as like a a most important factor in establishing yourself and growing your career?
1: Um, I would say, honestly, ironically enough, it's kind of what you just said is consistency. Um, I think with all of our coaches and and all the athletes that we've seen, um, at least for me, like we end up being some of the most consistent people in their life um you know we have a lot of guys that are either like mma guys that have to do other odd jobs or if it's an nfl guy that might be keep that gets cut or things of that nature um or a high school kid who just there's no consistency in any other aspect of their life except for their scheduled time to come to to come see us um yeah. i think the more consistent you are people a see you but you almost hold yourself accountable to being consistent yeah. um you know a lot of other things come into play but effort and attitude, but consistency. If like, if you can be that consistent voice and approach your day consistently uh, for me, I mean, that's been my biggest challenge. However, that's my biggest thing that I work on as well. And I think that's helped, helped me, uh, me personally. That's been a huge, huge work for me. I would have to say, trust
3: the process. And I know that's cliche to say, but it's cliche because it's true. If you look at athletes in general and, and performance coaches you know, coming up, it's, it's not for everybody. Um, and particularly in the private sector, right? Like we have to build our own brand in terms of being a coach, a respected, trusted, knowledgeable, will get stuff done coach inside of a, a building that has a bunch of phenomenal coaches already. So in doing an understanding, trusting the process for a performance coach, a young coach coming up, understand that, there are some things that you're going to do that, um, like, don't overlook the small things. I know I'm kind of <laughs> jumbling my words right now, but there's going to be small steps along the process that you're not going to want to step over those. Right? Don't take things for granted. Do do some of the small things. Come in a little earlier. Stay a little later. Do some stuff on the weekends. Um, you know, You might do some pro bono stuff here and there just to help out facilitating process. And over the course of time, if you trust the process, whether you're a coach or an athlete, the payout at the end is phenomenal because in the way I describe it um, to coaches and athletes is, do you want to play nine holes a putt putt, or do you want to play the masters? Because if you want to play the long game, you want to play the masters. You're going to get out there day in and day out on that same course, because at the end of it, there's that green jacket waiting for you. And it's, it takes time to even be able to step on that golf course. So when it comes to being a performance coach, trust the process. Um, get phenomenal mentors around you that you can ask questions. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable and, and ask your coworkers questions. You know, Put yourself out there. Have some honest, uh, chalk talk conversations and just watch how you grow as a coach and as a, a person over time and how you develop with your, your peers um, strength coaches across the board, uh, the relationships that you build with your athletes, with the parents, et cetera. It's just, it's, it's amazing how it just all opens up like a inverted funnel.
2: Yeah. It's so ironic because has, have anybody seen the, um, was it King Richard, the documentary that just came out on HBO about Venus and Serena and William's dad. Yet. No I heard it's So I just saw it. It's amazing. Um, but it's extremely ironic that you brought that up because that's the one thing he just kept saying. He's like, I had a plan before they were born. I had a plan. I had a process and they followed the plan to a T and it might've sucked. (laughs) It might've sucked sometimes. And he kind of, he kind of looked like an asshole at some points in time through the, through the entire story, but he trusted the process. And obviously like it doesn't work for everybody. But if you follow a process and and you follow those steps and be okay doing some of the shitty stuff too, stuff gets done and you move forward and you continue to get those small incremental gains, like you're saying. So I love that.
0: Yeah, man. And I don't know. for me, I look at it like putting the two together, you know, if you like trust the process and do all the little things. But if you do that consistently, then I think you, you're going to stand out in the field, you know, like nobody likes showing up to the facility at five 30 in the morning and staying until six or seven at night or whatever. But if you can do that consistently, find a way to make that work in the short game, then it'll turn into a long game, that success. And you can start to kind of, play with it a little bit where it becomes a little more like a lifestyle for you so but no I, I really I appreciate that you guys sharing that and I think that that carry
2: a lot of weight So with working with Factory X, So I want to just dive right in because as you guys know, I I love combat sports. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you guys have one thing I I respect the hell out of you guys for um, both with Landau working with Factory X and Factory X as a whole is the culture you guys have. I bring it up every single time we get somebody from Factory X on the podcast and it's a team effort, right? All of you guys put together, create that culture. What's one way that you guys like try to, I guess, grow that culture while through your strength and conditioning. Cause like you said, Augie, you, you guys probably have the most time with the athletes out of anybody, right? You get an hour session. For the most part, you're talking with them one-on-one at least one time throughout the day, at least in my clinic, like when I'm working with athletes, I probably have the most time with my athlete out of all the coaches that they see. So it's important for me to grow that culture. And I know that's something a lot of like coaches struggle with is trying to conjoin their culture of their gym with the culture of the team. And I think you guys do a fantastic job. So I guess the question is, how do you guys grow that culture coincidingly with the skill team?
3: Oh, you want to jump in on that? or I got some thoughts right away. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I think part of it is we were very, very fortunate with Factory X that the head coach, Mark Montoya, um, doesn't stay at Factory X while guys come to the facility. He is there with the guys day in and day out, unless he's on the road with one of the fighters. Um, So to be able to have those conversations with him, to develop a rapport with the head coach and have the trickle-down effect and the buy-in from the athletes – um, is huge. I think another aspect of that as well is taking care of the person before you take care of the athlete. We all know why we're there, right? We're there for sports performance, training, conditioning. We're there to we're there to get better. You know, whether that's a um, a biomechanical ability like speed or power or strength, or we're looking at range of motion, or somebody just got down with the fight it's still the same person at different stages of the game. So if you can take care of the person before you take care of the athlete, I think that is a massive component in establishing culture across the board. Um, They know that we're their coaches first, but there's a level of care that goes into this process that cannot be overlooked. Yeah, I I
1: think he hit the nail on the head. You know, there's that quote that was it. They won't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. (laughs) Yep. Um, and I, I think that's that's so true, especially with with this population, because, again, it's so there's so they have so many different lifestyles. There's so many different things that they have going on, um, you know, within their fight team. Um, and I think within that as well is they knowing that when they come to our facility, it's it's foreign um, for a lot of those guys. You know, the sports performance facility is it's kind of foreign. It's not home. Whereas when we go to their to their facility, you know when they're sparring, you know, that's home to them where we kind of feel like a fish out of water. Um, so because of that, you know, our goal is not to, you know, it's, I think it's very easy in this field. Um, you'll see a lot of guys like point out like, Oh yeah, you suck at this. You suck at this. Like for us, it's like, well, we only have an hour and we only have really truly a sliver of what, of what we add to their whole pie. Right. You know, our hour a day or two hours a week, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't, a lot of time, so the amount of time we spend with them, um, you know, we have to make sure we maximize that. Um, and, and like kind of like Eric said, is just making sure that we maximize that person in front of us, make sure that they can trust us, um, and make sure that they're okay with reaching out to us for help, even outside of their sport. You know, knowing that we're there for them. Um, to build that long-term rapport, because then you can start to make little adjustments along the way.
2: But mm-hmm. well, I'm sure it probably helps drive that trust factor up as well, because like you said, I mean, I'm coming for as an ex combat athlete. I was, a, even though I was a sports performance well, that's my background. I'm a fish out of water compared to, to throwing wrestling shoes on and stepping on the mat. And those guys always feel uncomfortable when they step into the weight room. Um, but when, when you're able to relate to them and you guys do go to sparring, you were saying, correct. And go check that out. And that's the one thing I've found is being able to get to sparring and being able to talk to the coaches and watch how they're doing and, and fucking just give them nucks <laughs> after, <laughs> after the sparring go. Even that just goes a long way. Put a smile on your face. And even if they had a bad sparring round, you're the dude with the smile and you're, you're giving them nucks and said, Hey, even though it wasn't your best, like, guess what? You didn't gas out. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah. that's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. That's just coins in the piggy bank for that consistency and trust. Mechanism. It's
3: it's so true to all those points. If you look at it. You know, when they come to our facility, it's at a certain time of the day, you know, they've already had certain, a number of practices under their belt. Um, They they may be tired. They may be hungry. They, you know, bumps and bruises, things are going on. Who knows what's happening within their personal lives. But then we show up to sparring and it's like everybody on that mat will jog over just to say what's up to you. Like they're in a different mood they're in a different (laughs) mindset. Um, They'll tap you on the shoulder and be like, Hey, Hey coach, watch this. I'm about to get my next cage round. Like tell me what you think. They want to get our feedback. They're so stinking excited. And Austin, you're correct, man. I mean, it it goes such a long way to let the guys know that, hey, we're not just there for you from a performance standpoint. Like, we want to see this thing all the way through. So, when we can make it to sparring, you know, when we can make it to uh, certain events, whether that's local, regional, UFC, you name it, like as performance coaches, and I know Augie can attest to this. Um, is it, man, we want to see this thing through the end.
2: For sure.
0: Absolutely. Even like this past Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we were, we went to Factory X. We did our strength conditioning workout at the gym with them. And I think even that carried a whole different, you know, weight to it or a whole like a fun, more fun attitude or a more engaging type of culture. Cause you know, it's like, it's a cool experience. Like we got our strength coaches on the mat with us. And I think that helped the guys kind of get into it a little more. So like you said, I think it, it just builds up. The trust and the camaraderie and exactly like you're saying um but one thing eric that i've noticed a lot is that you create tremendous relationships with the athletes individually but also with the coaches on the skill team and you talked a little bit about mark and kind of how he leads the ship of factory x Um, is that something you can expand upon as far as i think relationship with the athletes is is be like a dead horse i think everybody knows that that's important and we should all work hard to foster those relationships, but what do you think about relationships like with the skill coach
3: and how important are those, that communication to keep up? Oh man, it's everything. <laughs> I, I cannot overstate this fact that, you know, earlier in my career, things were a little bit more separate, right? BJJ was at one place, striking was another place. Um, you had sparring on certain days, you had strength and conditioning on certain days and, and the coaches knew about each other but there wasn't necessarily a consistent thread of communication through those coaches to say hey guys i don't know what they have for SNC today they just got off the mat for wrestling practice and we went hard um, we would have to rely on guys walking in and that wasn't always the best barometer and the reason why i say that is you might have somebody who's you know 100% accurate they're spot on like Hey, we just went through the ringer today. We're all kind of feeling it. We're tired. We have this, that going on. And then you have the next person walk in the door and they're like, nope, I'm fine. I'm good to go because they're telling themselves psychologically, I'm okay. I'm ready to run through the next wall full speed ahead. So being able to get that from the athletes is one part, but being able to have the conversations with the coaches is so valuable because it creates uh, a, a greater dialogue that goes back to the importance of taking care of the athletes. Um I mean, Alex, you go and you see them at certain practices and I get feedback from you that I'm like, man, I'm so glad that you had that brought that feedback back to the facility because now it, you know, it helps me kind of set the tone for programming because we don't necessarily know what we're going to get. You know, we have a really good idea, but sometimes that kind of goes a a little sideways um, just because, you know what, grappling is going to be that much harder today or sparring rounds for super tough. Um, you know, they spend a little bit longer on the mat for a certain section. So we have to do our part in, and I don't want to say damage control per se, but just knowing where we have to make adjustments and call audibles in real time to say, Hey, this is what you guys really need right now. Some of the stuff in the programming, look, I'm just going to have to switch it. We're going to switch it for this. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Are
1: you just
0: mad to
3: that?
1: Yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, right. hundred percent. Um, you know, in essence, we almost become. Game managers, if you will, because, um, again, what's our role? It's ideally to allow them. We we can't return our athlete. We have to return our athlete back to their sport healthy. Um, and if that means us taking aside whatever we had written up for the day and scrapping it, um, so be it. Um, you know, our our ability to be fluid with the programming, as much as, you know, as strength coaches, you know, we write something down like, man, this is going to be sweet if we can get this done in eight weeks, it's going to happen. Like, yeah, and they come smash at the practice. Like, well, sweet, you know. You know, or the, the fact that, you know, as you see, Alex, we have two different time slots. You know, some guys early in the morning, some guys early in the um, early afternoon. So um, that leaves for two different type of athletes. Um, so our, abil- our ability to be fluid um, and truly make it an athlete-centered approach. You know, we truly have to sometimes get out of the way and, and listen. And, you know, like Eric said, it's clutch that you're able to be there. Um, on certain days in the middle of the week, because that feedback is pivotal. Um, You know, it's like, okay, well, what do we do? Do we pivot or do we stay with the program or do we go back to a deload or do we have to go more mobility-based or stay the course and maybe just less intensity? You know, there's so many questions. Uh, I know Eric asks on a daily basis and same with me. Every time I look at the program and as guys walking in, you're like, oh, shit, nope, that's not going to go. <laughs> or we'll just ride with it and just just pull back, you know? yeah. Um, You know, it's it's such a... But to me, that's what's fun about it because it's not stagnant. It's very easy for a coach to be stagnant and just watch it and just let it ride as opposed to asking the critical question, you know, like, well, what's really important, you know, because we, like I said, we are only a sliver in in terms of their overall pie. However, if we mess that sliver up and put fucking vinegar in it, then we can throw (laughs) off the entire recipe, you know, so um uh, that's what uh, what's really cool uh, cool about it absolutely
0: yeah and the way i look at it like when i when i get to go to practice and one i have a great time doing it and i love being around the team but like eric was saying when we have different athletes gauging how hard practice was like two different athletes have way different experiences of a wrestling practice right you think of a, a you know wrestler that just came from the otc going through a wrestling practice is very right. much different than a kickboxer transitioning to mma going through a wrestling practice and that that barometer is not always on the same scale, nor do they have really the background in like load management or like stress. Right. And, and so right. since I can see both ends, I think that that's where that value comes from. But I, I love it because I think it, it speaks to more of a, an active coaching approach or a, a more involved coaching that you're willing to pivot and you're willing to make those changes versus, you know, just stay the course or stick with it um, on a programming side of thing. Like, write all your programs in pencil. And be that way you yep. can uh, change them as needed. Right.
2: Well, and those guys, guys and girls definitely appreciate it too. And they appreciate you being able to pick up on when they're in a bad, like when they're in a bad spot or when they're in a fatigued spot, like something I've noticed is um, when I, if I have three or four people in at once, and if I'm given individual cues, that's, that's one thing I'm really big on is finding the right cue for the right person. Like one of the guys I really look up to in strength conditioning is Nick Winkleman and like what he's done for the queuing world. But, and once you are able to pick up on that athlete and pick up, whether it's fatigue level, whether, like you said, it's a kickboxer jumping into a wrestling day that that's really, really heavy. Um, and, and they aren't responding as well as you would like them to. If you can be that person that can be like, I understand you, I get that you're fatigued. I get that we need to scale that back when, you know, as well as I do, most skill coaches are going to be the guys that are going to say, I, I know Mark's not this way. And I know our coaches at fight ready, aren't this way, but a lot of coaches are going to be, Hey. I don't give a fuck. Let's push harder. Like We got got stuff to get done. If you're that coach that understands their condition and you understand where they're coming from, again, that's just another penny in the piggy bank. Like Alex is saying, it just gets more buy-in and more buy-in and the more buy-in they have, the more they're going to value strength conditioning, which we all know is a good fucking thing.
3: (laughs) Right, right. Here's here's one of the coolest parts about that whole process for us at Atlanta Performance, or at least in my opinion, one of the coolest parts in this process is that it's not one coach for an entire group of mixed martial artists. We have multiple right. coaches running multiple things at one time, which All right. allows us the space to say, Hey, um, let's drop back real quick. I'm an audible with this person and I'm going to have you take these guys. And I didn't know that this person was uh, necessarily showing up today and, and, here's what they have going on. So we need to hook them up and take care of them. And here's how we're going to do it and because we have, um, myself, Alex, Augie, Uh, Megan Cicchetti, Wrigley Reeves, uh, helping out with Factory X. Then we have um, Nate Smock and Aaron Porter that are helping out with the guys from Team Elevation. So those are Mm -hmm. seven MMA coaches just in one facility, or seven strength and conditioning coaches for MMA in one facility. So being able to have that ability to say, hey, guys, I need your help on this, or, hey, coach, can you help me with this? I didn't know they had this going on. Like we have to have that on the line because if we don't i mean Alex and all you please stop me if I'm wrong, could you imagine being a single coach with fifteen plus athletes that are in GPP and s p p um post I just came back uh one guy <laughs> right. has got an injury, someone just got injections for p r p you know it's <laughs> like. Can you imagine That's being me. the single coach in that room and going, <laughs> "How in the hell
1: am I going to get this done?" Right in an hour, really yeah. forty minutes. I'm honest, a couple warm up. Yeah, you just <laughs> described us whole
0: practice. A so nice. Shower.
2: <laughs> well, you. I don't have them all at once. I have. <laughs> no, I, just I have them all separate, but yes, I, I can't imagine, and it is a hassle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of it's scheduling, fun. and it's a lot of notes that I have, and I have a lot of different. Notes in my Google Calendar about these different athletes, and it's <laughs> oh man, I'm,
3: I can't imagine. I'm sure you're just inundated with notes. <laughs> yes, oh, and scooping pages like holy crap, again, what is happening today? And Austin's yeah. trying to do the healthcare on top, and
2: of that I do the healthcare well. for all most Jesus. of my athletes on top of it. But yeah, but,
0: but yeah, good on you, Austin. But no, it's and fun. I love it too because I get to rely on each coach for their individual knowledge and perception and uh. I guess perspective as well, because like if I have a certain individual problem and I talk to Eric, you about it, I'm going to probably get a different answer than if I go talk to Aaron Porter about it. Right. Who Aaron and Nate were on our podcast, you know, two or three weeks ago. Um, And I heavily suggest you guys check out that episode as well, but I get the different approaches and the different views not to say that one's right or one's wrong, but to add to my knowledge set so that I can do better next time for whatever, you know, occurrence is happening. So uh, I'm insanely grateful for, like uh, Eric said, seven different SSC coaches that specify an MMA in our facility. So I think that's a huge advantage uh, in that. And then one thing I picked up from Augie that I actually want to talk about, and I, I wrote this down as a note that I want to talk about too, is Augie has on a few instances, I don't know if he knows I picked up on it, but you reference athletes superpowers all the time. And I think that's something that's kind of worthwhile to get into as far as how you think about that and, and how you use that in our programming and in our kind of coaching style. And what exactly that means by, you know, an athlete having superpowers. Um,
1: well, shoot, Actually, I, I stole it from Lauren, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, he had a specific individual. He had mentioned that um, this individual before a fight, all oh, he like, Pull-ups made him feel strong, like superhuman. Um, So he's like, if I take that exercise out, I'm probably doing him a disservice. Whether it's a placebo or not, like if you take away somebody's superpower, that's, uh, you know, you could be playing with fire. And I kind of took that to heart, you know, watching people as they're going through their, watching their fights and watching even different sports, just watching what they, what makes them unique. You know, a guy that, if a guy is a, a cardio monster, and can go all day, but you don't give them something that let them feel their superpower. Um, you know, mentally it could be just a, just a, a, a mental block for them. Um, you know, and I really took that to heart and I kind of, and a lot of times I get, you know, boring in the sense that like sometimes throughout their fight camp, they're going to be doing the same thing that makes them feel good. But to me, again, my own, my hour is so valuable. I'm like I better give them something that they're going to take away and feel strong or feel powerful or feel, um, feel their lungs being spectacular with um, within that hour. If I don't, I think I, I again, I, I think I do them a disservice. You know, I think Alex, me, I mean, you have talked to a couple of individuals and like, you know, what are they like? You know, do we, yeah. should we be giving them something that they're used to? Yeah. Um, you know, one, one being, you know, a, a heavier guy that, you know, likes to grind it out a little bit, you know, so he's not like being a guy that just sprinting on the treadmill. That might not be his jam. Um, you know, not to say that you shouldn't add it in, but again, give them something that, Makes them feel like they're like they're the man because again once they walk in that ring it's them one person versus another yeah you know and if you don't have that edge you don't have that mental edge you don't feel like you have your superpower your your sword or whatever it is um, you know you, I, I truly think you leave something you leave something on the table
2: sure you, you got to have that kind of McGregor swagger walk going in there you, you have gotta, to you whether feeling
1: whether, it yeah whether you whether people see it or it's just in your mind. You yep. know, and we know we see certain guys who just flip that switch and, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, they feel like oh, they yeah. are god, which is yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't want to have any second thoughts, you know, as you enter and you're walking down that 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 row all the way up to the cage. Um, in my opinion, I've never been in the cage. So, again, but from my outsider's view, I I, I got to believe that they have to feel supreme as they walk in that cage and that thing locks behind them. Oh,
2: no, for it's, sure. It's and, and, you know, accurate, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be doubts, right there. They're like, right. No matter what, even if you're feeling like a superhuman, there's going to be doubts, but the more confident you are, the more you feel like you are Superman and you're going to look so much better in that cage. If you trust your hands, like that's the biggest thing I see. If uh, a lot of our, like our team is very wrestling based, we have a lot of really good wrestlers and I see it in their performances. I can tell when they walk into the cage and then they're doing the announcements how well their striking performance is going to be based off how they look while they're walking back and forth. Like if they, cause I wrestle, I don't, Alex didn't, probably didn't tell you guys. I also wrestle with the guys too. So I'm, I'm one of the, I help with wrestling at fight ready, but I'm around these guys all the time. And if they're walking, like one of my guys, Hunter Azure, if he's walking, he's got his chest up high. He's moving around. If he gives Bruce Buffer a fist bump, I know immediately this first round is going to suck for that guy in front of him he's got that swagger and his striking's going to be on point. But I, I did that one recently, Augie. I, I love how you do that, where it's their exercises, their superpower. I have this heavyweight boxer that can't, you know, you, like hip switches to shin boxes, you know, the 90, 90 position going up to a shin box. This dude has been working on his hip mobility for a year and I haven't given him a full shin box yet because he can't do it right. Like he just has terrible hips. There's some limitations in the way.
4: If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late so having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me what is in the cards is ag1 it's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals i need to perform i first gave ag1 a try because i wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine since drinking ag1 daily i've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash grit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run, up early and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop mixed in water once a day and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com/slash/proven grit. That's drinkag1.com/slash/proven grit. Check it out.
2: But he finally got to the point where I think that he, I thought that he could do it. So in his pre, I go, I'm in his corner and his pre-fight warm-up. I gave him hip switches and I actually, I I told him, Hey, let's go through the full flow. Let's go up to a lunge, which means you got a shin box. He does it with no problem at all. I just saw a big old fucking smile on his face. He's a, he's a big like bald ginger beard dude. And he's got a big smile on his face. He's like, I can't believe I did that. He walked out there, starched him in the first round. I know that's not the only thing that played into it, but that's the first time I've seen him smile walking to the cage. And I'm like, it's, it's a superpower it's the one thing that he thought he couldn't do. And he's that's that one limitation and boom, it's gone. Let's go.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the mental edge, especially in a, in a game like MMA or combat sports where like I like says, one-on-one that's you got it or you don't, man. And that's, it's hard for some people to, to grasp. Yeah. <sighs> Definitely, man. So Eric, I wanted to ask you about uh, a little bit more about like programming within MMA. So um, I know, and I've seen you guys as programming and I'm blown away by it. And I really, enjoy a lot of it if you had to boil down um our program or just any typical mma strength and conditioning program to three or four highest priorities or the way i look at it is just how what buckets am i going to fill right with my exercise selection with my uh, you know esd with my metabolic days what are those three or four priorities or buckets for you
3: it's a really good question uh really good. <laughs> i would I, yeah I, not to
0: put you on the spot but please, please yeah i know uh,
3: <laughs> i definitely want to make sure i get my burpees in uh just kidding right. uh, <laughs> <Hell yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no I, I think if when we look at it from a, a timing standpoint right i i don't want to necessarily say that's where i start but that's a big bucket for me that's a big rock for me because we all know that in MMA. You have the potential to have a fight scheduled months in advance, weeks in advance, or you can find out days before. So there has to be a timing component of what are our volumes and intensities like and how are we cycling through these in the event that we need to have somebody get called up last second for a replacement or you know within a week's time. Um, I think we need to look at it from, for lack of a better phrase, what Augie was talking about, their superpowers you know picking exercise selection from a group standpoint that you know hey maybe this guy isn't the best at you know exercise A but when we get into the next pairing like holy crap this is where this guy or girl just excels and you can get in their ear a little bit and just you know just, just give them that praise of you know fuck I, that's what I'm talking about you just killed that i need you to come back and do that again and whether that's in a strength session power session metabolic session like just going over real quick and dropping that little nugget of information of positive affirmation and authentic affirmation. Not, I don't just yeah. give that boys yeah. for the sake of that. It's <laughs> like, you got to earn that shit in my opinion. <laughs> right. But if you look at the timing, you look at uh, how that can be cyclical. Um, you look at the importance of the superpower of the athlete. And then to me, I think the last, uh, well, I mean, I could expand on this for a while, but I'll just go with this next one <laughs> is, Their recovery, 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 because we all know that a lot of times, you know, these guys can fall into a scenario where they believe that more is better versus less can be more. And that's where we have to come in as stress managers. Alex, you and I were just talking about this recently is, you know, being able to gauge and peel back when we need to, Hey, let's, let's hit these couple key points. And then the last little bit is going to turn into a mobility active recovery component versus you know what I originally had listed because we got to make sure that the fighters are ready to fight and perform on that singular event date. No one's getting paid inside of the cage to be a power lifter or the best at their, <laughs> their metabolic session. They're getting paid to be the best mixed martial artist on that night with somebody who's got the same intent and idea standing across from them. So to me, it's it's the timing component. It's what's going to hit those guys uh, uh, correctly to help sharpen that blade uh, to keep that blade sharper or help out with the superpower and then the recovery component to make sure that we're not just making these guys the nail all the damn time. Let them be the hammer.
0: Awesome. I, I really like the idea of like queuing somebody into or helping them, you know, develop a new superpower that they either didn't think they have or um, one that, you know, you're, you're kind of on the long haul to develop right? Like we know each individual athlete has their superpower, like what got them to the show. And you don't want to lose sight of that. But at the same time, like if I know, you know, ex athlete could be really good at this or could have this attribute in his pocket when he needs it, but you know, foster that note, not only through exercise selection and your, um uh, like your X's and O's, but let's foster that through their confidence and their mental as well. Like I think that's, that's a huge point of being a coach.
2: You had touched on uh, recovery, Eric, what, what kind of recovery modalities are you guys recommending for your guys or, and do you program them in like you program that into their week at all? So
3: uh, I had the first part, um, from a recovery standpoint, you know, we can do things like different variations of soft tissue techniques from, you know, foam rolling, active isolated stretches, Um, we can help out from an LDOA standpoint, um, from fascial stretching, we can look at uh, different things that they may need, whether it's chiropractic components, muscle activation techniques, massage therapy, you know, because there's so many different techniques out there for guys to get um, what they feel is the most benefit for them. Some guys might love massage, some guys might hate massage, some people love chiropractors, some people don't. So it was, you know, uh, we send certain guys to uh, recovery centers because some guys really love the hot, cold contrast of the tub. Some guys love sitting in the sauna. It's getting to know the athlete and what makes them tick and what makes them feel the best. Um, Augie hit this earlier. It may be a placebo effect, but damn, if it's anecdotal to them to get a positive um, result from it. We have to listen to those things. We have to take note of that because this is something that we need to carry on down the road to make sure that if that is indeed helping them, why would we take that out to hurt them, right? I can't sit there and tell an athlete, hey, you really love going to get dry needled, but I really think you should not do that and just foam roll instead. Well, if they don't like that, like what are we doing to help those guys out, right? I always tell those guys. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you guys. So I'm here to help you out in whatever it is that you need. Now, if they have questions about certain things, then I think we it lends the conversation to us speaking about that topic as far as we can, and then handing them off to the next professional who can give them a little bit more insight on a certain modality or treatment that could be potentially beneficial for them to go try out. Um, I think when it comes into programming, that's something that's been an interesting subject over the course of time because- We've tried to get guys in uh, to do some active recovery stuff on weekends or uh, post-sparring sessions. And it, it kind of comes in waves. Sometimes we're flooded with guys. Sometimes we're not flooded with guys. And I used to take that personally um, because I'm an idiot, but <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would carry that weight and be like, man, these guys don't like me. It's like, no, they don't. They're, they're just done. They're smoked at the end of the week. They just yeah. want to go. Maybe they want to hit that hot cold contrast. And then go home and then just relax and let the recovery, the passive recovery strategies just take over. Like, what is wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. So I think, again, it goes back to what's going to be the most beneficial for these people in terms of programming uh, for them. If it's coming in to see us, fantastic. If it's going to do something else, go and do that other thing. If that's the most beneficial from a recovery standpoint, cool. Cool if you guys want to come and see us, we can absolutely help you out as well. So I think it depends on the person and what they're looking for in in terms of timing, uh, especially with the end of the week, you know, Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors and and one of those is us. So there's other stuff out there for guys to, to go out and find and, and say, Hey, I really love when I get X done for my shoulders or my hips. Mm -hmm. Cool. If that feels better, if you can perform better, do that thing. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Right.
2: Um, So, and the other thing, so do you guys do, I call it like the quarterback of the sports performance. You obviously have the head coach, right? Mark Montoya. Do you guys have any sort of say into their workload management as far as any of the other practices? Do you guys have those talks back and forth to where you guys kind of not dictate the workload, but but are able to have a say in how hard athletes are pushed day to day, or is it not that individualized? You know what I'm talking about? Where, where? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, I'm just thinking for a second. I I think that we have the ability to have the conversation with the head coach. Gotcha. um, But I would never say that we're in a spot to dictate the volumes and, and, or the intensities or frequencies of certain practices. I think if we look at what we see in front of us and, and kind of some of the feedback that we're getting, you know, I think all the coaches can come together and say, Hey, these guys have been hitting it hard for a while. Like maybe it's not just a deload inside of a strength and conditioning block, but, you know, deloading these guys through different practices and however we can make that happen. You know, if it, if, if guys are doing well and, you know, we're coming up on the holidays and people travel and kind of lay low a little bit when everybody comes back together, it's like, okay, now we can all hit the accelerator a little bit harder right now because people should be fresher, more recovered. They've taken time off the mat, whatever the case may be. So I think we have the the ability because of the uh, relationships that we have with the coaches to have a say in the conversation, but I'm definitely not trying to you know, go to the podium.
2: Right. Right. OK, right.
1: nice. And just just kind of piggyback off of Eric, you know, the, the, the relationship portion is huge. You know, the ability yeah. to communicate to all the different coaches um, and be able to just just to have, talk to them and get a feel for what they're what's coming up. You know, we 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 have a pretty good uh, message board in terms of when we see fights coming up. So we know when guys are coming up and we we know when there's certain time periods where there's waves of guys that are going. Um, so the back of our minds, we kind of have an idea of how practice is going to go. Right. Um, you know, or vice versa, if they have nothing going on for a little bit. Um, I think that allows us to have, like Eric said, the ability to have these conversations um, to at least give us an idea of where we need to steer, steer the ship for, at least on our end, on the part that we can control. Um, again, mm-hmm. with their sport, you know, there's no off season, you know, right. so it's hard to say like, hey, you need to pick up volume here, you need to pull back here. You know, we truly for us have to adapt to what they look like in front of us. Um, again, cause there's some guys that may fight seven times in a the year. There might be a guy that fights once in two years. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard for us to, you know, in my opinion, to, to say that we can help dictate volumes, um, because certain guys, everybody's going to be different in a different spot of their career and a different, uh, different individual in general. For
3: sure. I've seen Thank so too. many go
1: ahead. Eric. Oh, go ahead, Alex.
3: Go ahead. No, you, man.
0: we got you on <laughs> the podcast yeah. to listen to we you, wa- man. Yeah, we want to hear you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, well, he was talking, it made me think about it. You know, it really becomes a two-way street. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times Mark has come in or, or called me on the way in. Hey coach, I just want to give you a heads up how guys are looking it's been a a crazy week or the past two weeks we've just been going hard. So, and he'll tell me like, look, I'm not telling you what to do with your program. I'm just trying to give you a heads up on the temperature Mm -hmm. where these guys are at. So we know how to adjust accordingly. So that way you guys have a heads up before we roll in and you're looking at them going, okay, I got minutes or minutes and seconds to figure this out versus, okay, I have time to sit back, gauge this, now make a game plan, have us as coaches, you know, come together um, have a quick conversation, develop a plan, and then you know, hands in, ready, break, and then there we go. So it's definitely a two-way street. Um, but to right. obvious point, it's the relationship. You know, the, the coach trusts us to be able to relay that information across to us um, because he knows that at the end of the day, we have the best interest for the athletes at heart, and we want to make sure that we're doing them uh, the service that they're looking for, not just the hey, we had X planned, and now we got to go and audible to Z. Um, you know, we just have to be ready for, for those waves to come when they come.
0: Yeah. And what I was going to say is for me, it just goes back to like communication and timing, you know, the timing aspect that, that you've brought up multiple times, as far as like, when is this fighter going to fight? And it, it's been crazy to me to see the waves of like, all right, within these next two weeks, we're going to have 21 fights. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's crazy to me to see it, that happen and how it all comes together, but how also we can approach that from our end on strength and conditioning too. So, um, yeah, the communication and the timing, I think, is huge. Just like you guys are saying, but then also I think the consideration too. Like on those weeks that we have, like three guys fighting out of you know our 30 man team or whatever, we have this and that coming in. I wanted to get your guys' kind of opinions and thoughts on the dynamics of programming for a whole group coming in. Versus, you know, programming for the individual and how, and again, I know how we moderate that and how that happens, but, you know, for the people listening to the podcast, like, or for Austin, because he doesn't know anything, um, could you explain the the dynamics of programming for, for, like, the group, but also for the individual and where you kind of, all that.
3: Oh, you yeah, go ahead, man.
1: No, that's a great question. You know, I think in the back of my mind, I always think of, you know, the long-term plan. Um, that you're thinking of for the overall group, um, and there might be you know, it. might be multifaceted, but um, there might be a different amount of skills that you're trying to achieve for the entire group. Um, but when we do have, you know, guys that are coming up, let's say it's three guys opposed to the entire team. Um, well, a for us, fortunately, we have multiple coaches, so we can split off um, into our general prep or our specific crep, prep prep. Um, if that's the case, I think that's that's the route that you go Um, because then you can kind of tailor it and tailor it to exactly what they need for however many weeks, depending on, you know, we have guys that get a short notice constantly, um, you know, so they don't necessarily need the potential dosage or volume that the other guys might be getting um, or vice versa in a specific area. You know, if you're looking at a long term, if you're looking at just building lactate capacity, and maybe this is a guy that that goes all day anyway. Maybe he doesn't need that. Um, so you need your ability to be able to, to shake off, um, you know. And I think I think Eric can attest to this. There was a point where it was just me in a, uh, one group and Eric running his group, um, and it is just one person. Um, so that strategy becomes um, a little bit more finicky um, in terms of all right. Well, we we do need to get this person ready for the fight. It's like how can I alter intra session what they need. Um, while giving everybody else what they need, um, which is difficult, but I, it's very doable if you, uh, you're, you can do math really quickly and have a stopwatch. Um, but I think ultimately you got to think about what's best for the fighter. Um, and ideally, if you're able to split it up and have another person and have somebody else help, um, I think that's the best route that you can go. Yeah, and I, I think that's you have a, anything to
3: add to that. Yeah, no, I, I love it because if you look at the way that we have our system set up, um, between guys that are GPP and SPP, um, general physical prep and specific physical prep, we have coaches and and typically more than one to help manage what the heck is going on. Um, then we're also very, very fortunate to have some phenomenal interns that we get through the course of different semesters that are excited to hop in and help out. Um, I mean, the, the setup, the execution, the coaching cues, the involvement um, to make it such a a more of a seamless flow is, I I mean, I can't, (laughs) I cannot specify how awesome it is um, to have that ability to have that extended arm to, you know, to create that, but then to look at even within uh, an SPP situation, you got, you know, four fighters that have fights coming up on the same date. Let's say two of these guys are super explosive guys. And two of these guys are really, really strong guys. So within the programming, How can we individualize to a degree, you know, I need, we're doing the the similar exercise and I'm going to split you guys up on this path, but here's why we're making it slightly different. You guys, I need you guys to explode through this. I need to work on your strength. I need to work on whatever biomotor ability quality that I need to highlight in this phase of training. We can do that, even though I have almost a singular overarching plan in terms of the program, but there do become nuances is inside of that to help out. And the only way that I can get that done um, within such a big group session is to have multiple coaches there so we can look at that. And, and the same thing is true with GPP. We have guys that walk in that have been training for a couple of weeks and some guy walks in and he's one week post fight. So even that stuff, it's like, you're not ready to be necessarily involved at that level per se. So we're going to integrate you within the GPP phase but it's going to be slightly different than what everybody else is doing to make sure that we're taking care of athlete X at the same time within the group itself.
2: So what I'm trying to think without how, so with Augie you run the the NFL combine prep as well at Lando, uh-huh. right? So how do you, how does working with M, MMA fighters compare to working with your NFL fighter, your, your NFL players and the different sports you work with?
1: Um, You know, honestly, there's some similarities in terms of, you know, confidence, but I think the biggest thing is, is training age, you know, MMA as a sport, um, they're not like typically so far, I mean, I think it's starting to change. Um, your MMA athlete, isn't going to be a guy that went to four years, had four years of strength and conditioning, um, or even understands what it even means. Like we have a lot of guys (laughs) Um, I'm sure Alex test this in the morning where that still think that, you know, more is better yeah. um, and it's not better for, for a multitude <laughs> of the different reasons, but um, it's, so I think getting part, when you have guys that have gone through like collegiate weightlifting and even high school to some degree, they understand that there's a consequence for everything they do good or bad, you know? So we want to, we want to place our energy into things that are going to give us, um, you know, beneficial consequences. Um, you know, I think what's different though with NFL Combine, you know, we have eight to 12 weeks to really make a change. Um, right. So those guys right away are typically dialed right in and they know that they have to give everything. They have to believe everything that you're, what, that you're saying. Um, not to say they can't question anything, but they know that the window is, is, is small. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with MMA, you know, ultimately these guys can fight. Regardless if they <laughs> came, to, came into our, our facility or not, they can still fight. Yeah. Um, so I, I think with, because of that, you know, they understand that it, 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 there's a place for it. There's a place for the strength and conditioning, but ultimately, you know, if a guy is a really good fighter, you know, it's like, well, where do we, where do we fit? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes, sometimes that could be the struggle with buy-in, um, for some guys who are very successful that may not be very successful in the strength and conditioning phase, which is not necessarily a bad thing, you know? And I think as coaches, we have to make sure we don't. You know, project that. Oh no, you suck here. So there's no way you could be. It's like you oh, know, sometimes these guys are still really good at fighting. Um, so I think that's where you, you have to take back and and truly work on that relationship piece and see what you can truly help help them with. You know, because sometimes with these guys, the training age is going to be low in terms of walking in a weight room. Um, so for them to go put 300 on their back is not going to be something that they've done before. You know, typically, whereas. Mm-hmm. You know, if you guys you guys have been through a football program or a high school weight room, where you know one thirty five on the bar, that's like your check mark. Growing up, you know, <laughs> being able to hit a plate for sure, hit two plates is like the 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 mark of a man, I guess. In high school, if you could bet, hit bench two twenty five, you know, same thing yeah. with squats. You know, there's those numbers that I think just universally, like football players and other athletes, know like, when you're in the weight room. And I don't think that's there in the MMA community, so because of that, you know, we can't project what we think strong is to them because we don't know that they, they're so foreign to them, you know, four oh five on squat, you know, it's again, another, you know, uh, success for a, a football player. Um, doesn't really mean anything for somebody that fights cause they can still beat people up. So it doesn't really matter. You know? So I think that, yeah, that, man. that's a, a, a big thing that I had initially like when I started working with some of our combat athletes, I'm like, man, like, what is going on here? Um, they're like, this is stuff I was doing. But it's like, again, they're not, they didn't grow up in that system. There wasn't an MMA system to grow up in, you know. To, so to speak. So um, I think with that regard, there's a, a major difference in terms of what we bring to them and what they perceive we bring to them.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's what I've noticed a lot like with, with our guys is most of our athletes, they were the kids in high school that were skateboarding. They, they weren't the right. kids. <laughs> they were the kids having fun. And right. the, the worst, uh, at least my biggest struggle that I've seen is I'm the most boring part of their training. Right. You get to punch people right. in the face mm-hmm. for a living. They right. like, they get to wrestle, they get to do jujitsu. I'm the most boring part of their training versus football for, or like I work with uh, some Cardinals guys and like the different sports. I'm their favorite part of training. Cause it's not monotonous right. drilling over and over and over again. Right. So, um, but getting into, that's the next question I want to ask is what's your biggest, I guess not setback or what's your biggest, um, adversity is adversity the right word What's the biggest stepping stone in working with combat sports? So what I mean by that is, yeah, challenge. That's the word I'm looking for. My favorite show on MTV, and I forgot the word.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Biggest challenge. I mean, I think for me, and I still struggle with it, is just truly trying to get across. I think in general, just get across what's going on. You know yeah. why are we in here? What what this adaptation is going going to see is going to do for you in the long run? Um, you know why running thirty miles a week may not necessarily be conducive for your programming right now if you have eighteen other practices. Um, <laughs> trying to get across, and, and it's it's not any of their faults. A lot of times you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's the battle, and I think that's always going to be a battle because um, ultimately, you know, guys like to work hard. I don't think we have many athletes that don't want to work hard it's what's the fine line um how how hard is too hard in terms of your auxiliary stuff that's not your main stuff um so um that's for for me the, the the latest challenge is to what can i echo across to make sure that they know exactly what we're doing for them not that we're just another practice and here just to uh, lift and go go from here to the next practice like what's the value
2: right you're not just another box they got to check off
1: right right uh,
2: what you got Eric what's your biggest challenge for some combat do, sports I would say right
3: now it's, it's getting guys to understand that uh, it, it's okay to be able to shift gears I equate it to manual transmissions right you have I have an athlete who can push the gas and throttle the gas pedal, but they're not attuned to shifting from first to second to third and so on and so forth. It's like, man, you, I equate it to going down the highway in second gear. It's like, if you mash on your gas pedal, going down the highway in second gear, you're going to burn yourself out. Like there's nothing good happens there. You have to be able to shift gears. So you're not just stuck in red line and other people. It's like, I need you to get out of second gear by pushing towards that red line more <laughs> yeah. so it's it's having those conversations with the athletes so they understand look one we see it we're aware of it um we notice it not just within our walls but we can see it at uh training sessions that you have outside of lp uh, specifically at factory x and we don't want some adversity to be a consistent habit that's not being addressed and then you take that inside of the cage and like now it's it's too late to try to figure that out. Like We didn't address it soon enough. So if I can get guys to shift gears, now we're in fifth gear, but we're still hauling ass. Like we're good to go. We were, we were able to shift those gears. If I can get somebody out of first and second gear and, and gas it just a little bit more, find that next gear when we need to. And I'll let you downshift when you're ready to. But if we could find that next gear at certain times, like holy hell, the the opportunities that we have to produce favorable outcomes we start to shift that in our favor um, and we can't guarantee outcomes as coaches, but damn, I would love a stacked deck more than an unstacked deck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Right.
3: For sure.
0: So on the flip side of that, talking about the positive outcomes, what's the most rewarding thing about working in this martial arts or with combat athletes that you guys have experienced? We'll have Eric go first.
3: Uh, I'm going to answer this in two parts. Cool. Yeah. Um, The first part is when you start to have conversations and you do your homework and you build relationships with these guys, the rapport that you get with the athletes and the coaches is second to none. I mean, there's 168 hours in a week and we get to see them for two to three hours. So like Augie said, it's a small sliver but the impact of that, that silver can have is huge as long as we're creating that relationship back and forth with the athletes. And it's a continuous effort. Um, I had one of my guys just hit me up and he was asking me, Hey, what's the, what am I listening to on Joe Rogan? You know, like what are the the podcast episodes that I'm really clinging on to right now? It has nothing to do with fighting. Right. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's those kinds of things that, you know, I like when I get those kinds of texts from them and I, I check on them to see how they're doing. Um, whether that's it's good or something's tough is going on. Like, it, I want them to know that we're there all the time, no matter what. Like, you don't just leave and then the door closes and we don't give a shit. That's not true. Um, the second way I'm going to answer this, and this is going to be extremely selfish, but <laughs> I, I just have to mention this because it was is the first time I did it, and who knows if I'll ever do it again. Being able to be or being asked corner at a UFC event, um, being able to see that level of preparedness. That level of orchestration, and I'm talking about from an organizational standpoint, um, how they do things, it, it was just different than I've seen on the local shows and the regional shows, and, and they are who they are for a reason. And to be able to witness that firsthand and be a part of that, to feel it, to walk out, um, to sit there cage side and feel like my I was gonna puke my brains out <laughs> there, so freaking. <laughs> amped and nervous and freaking out at the same time i was i was i'm sitting in the stool and my right leg is twitching like freaking Thumper and bambi and i'm i grabbed my leg and in my head i told myself you need to calm down dude <laughs> like, like, but it was it was such a an exciting moment that you know those things don't happen all the time so to be able to get that i i will selfishly say that was one of the coolest things that i've been been a part of and, and to just be a fly on the wall to, to see how it all played out through the course of the week and then to the event and then post event, like, damn, man, that was so cool. Like I'm, I'm definitely bit by the bug and I want to do that more and more and more. And that doesn't just mean on the UFC level, I'm talking about, you know, seeing the, the process all the way through and, and get to see some of the stuff that's behind the scenes that a lot of people will never get to see. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't put it into words. It's, it's beyond amazing and awesome and, and humbling. Yeah. I'll give you what you got.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm with Eric, The um, being able to corner UFC fighters, it's, it's amazing in the sense that again, being able to see the final hours, um, you know, I've been able to been fortunate enough to be able to watch it obviously at, at NFL combine and like, it's just seeing everything kind of funneled down to like, okay, these last waning moments before it's like, okay, now it's time. Um, I think the ability to be able to see that switch. And again, it gives you more insight as to what they go through and what type of fighter they are. Um, you know, and then on the flip side of that, I'm I think kind of turn a negative into a positive, you know, one of the best experiences I've had is after a fighter has actually lost, um, being able to be around them when that happens, um, and being, um, being able to see things for what it is around that time. Um, I think it's a, it's a very, <laughs> it's, it's, depressing, but it's, it's awesome to see, you know, as you see them kind of flip the script and get back, get back to training, um. A lot of lessons, um, at least on my end, I I took from that is being able to watch and see, you know, what somebody goes through through that process. Because, again, it's an individual based sport. Um, So that after a loss, you know, you're you know, you you, see all the, you know, the hey, we'll get it next time or the text and stuff like that. But it's like those kind of go away after a little bit, you know, and then there's a time where that fighter is by themselves. And I know I think the, the the cool thing is being able to still harbor those relationships and be able to speak and communicate with a lot of these athletes and and see where they're at and see where their mind goes. It's amazing with a lot of these fighters, how they flip the switch to get right back on the horse. and I think that's whats that's what's cool and that's what makes them unique um, because they're they they're the shit when they're winning. everybody knows them. and at the same time, you know when when things go go awry, um, it's cool to see their their network and see who their true circle is. Um, I, I I think there's a lot of value in that.
2: For yeah. sure. Well, that's something. No, yeah. there's no that's hype. something that's super cool. Whenever I go with like with my fighters, I was I remember one of them, Henry Corrales, and we lost a fight. It sucked. It was a bigger fight, and he he just I go up to him, I gave him a hug, and he just needed a hug, and he's he's just like, well, that fucking sucked, <laughs> and, and, and he's like. I guess I'm not going back to 135 again and he just gets up, walks off and didn't talk about it one more time. But like you said, the coolest thing is seeing I think the most interesting part is seeing the guys that actually text those guys and actually check in on them over and over and over again, right? That's the one cool thing about our sport that I think separates it from a lot of the other sports that I've I've been a part of is that because it's so individual, even if even if you're not the one in the cage, Everybody that's a fight, everybody that's a fighter understands how individual it is. And almost every single fighter on our team is going to check up on that athlete multiple times because they know what that feeling feels like, unless you're undefeated, which most people aren't, you know, what that feeling feels like. And the shitty thing about MMA is you're probably not going to compete again for another three months, four months. That loss is sitting with you for four months and your mental state. I mean, your mental state's not always going to be great, but as long as your brothers are around you, your brothers and your sisters are (laughs) around you helping you through it. That's the coolest part I've seen about MMA. One
1: hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's 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 raw and it's only you, like in the cage. And that's I think some of the hardest part, right? That there's no hiding in the cage. There's no hiding from a win or a loss. It's like it's what's gonna happen and it's on you.
3: Huh?
0: Damn, I gotta go corner UFC event because I'm the only one at the podcast <laughs> that happened. So we'll get there.
3: <laughs> yes, we will.
0: Yeah, true. Well say, I'm good. If you guys are good, I think you
2: guys get that. I was about to say that we took about an hour and a half of y'all's time. I appreciate the heck out of you guys
3: coming through.
1: Oh, of course. Thanks for having us.
3: (laughs) I was looking at my watch. I'm like, i got like 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: That blew by. I looked at the Broncos gave up. I looked up and it's already the third quarter. I'm like, dang. (laughs) Hey, you guys know what
2: that means is we'll just have to do this more often.
1: Yeah, this is true.
2: (laughs) If it went uh, that way, for sure. Well, we appreciate you guys. Um, for everybody listening, please like, share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends. If you're on Apple podcast, please leave us a rating that does boost our SEO. Um, You've got to get in contact with us or with our guests. All the information is going to be in the show notes for both of y'all. I'll ask Augie first, if they got to get in contact with you, what's the best way to get in contact with you?
1: Um, it's just probably IG. Uh, IG. My IG handles persistence 21. Um, okay. Same thing with my Twitter. So that's probably easy. Perfect. What about you, Eric? Um, the only social media platform I use is Instagram. So they can
3: find me at Eric Telly. Um, I'll, I'll say this real quick. I'm, I took a break for the month of November from social media. So come December one, I'm going to see what that little thing looks like and uh, how to manage that accordingly, but uh, just needed to step away. Nothing crazy, nothing funky happened. It was just a personal choice, but yeah, if guys want to reach out to me, um, there, you know, however you guys want to. And, and definitely don't hesitate to look into lana performance as a whole right this is right. uh we're, we're just a few coaches of many coaches that are there and it's it's that that place that house that houses um some fantastic coaches and some amazing athletes so don't forget to to look yeah. at of performance across the board facebook twitter instagram um i don't know if we're on any other <laughs> platforms
2: <laughs> but
1: um, you guys on tiktok yeah,
2: I don't know if
3: we're on Snapchat. Yeah. I don't or think we're on
1: TikTok. I don't. Yeah, MySpace. My I, I don't know. MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> my
3: <laughs> Had to throw <laughs> it in there, bro. I'm that, I'm that old.
0: <laughs> i gonna say eric's been on myspace for the last month instead of instagram
2: so right that's he's why trying he's to
3: rekindle up. some spirits here that's <laughs> messed up man you guys are giving away my trade secrets <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: well this is building a fighter and we are out